My dog shits cash. Part 5. We're in the doghouse now. With a takeaway cappuccino in hand from a local Starbucks competitor, Nathan's system buzzed with caffeine and possibilities. He tapped his fingers on his knees and sipped the milk froth, occasionally turning to check on Winnie's progress. Make, he said. Make. I can't do it. Make. More money. My stomach. It hurts. She dropped to the grass and rolled over. Oh, come on, Win. We've got deadlines to meet. Do we? Winnie huffed. <clears throat> Her distended belly pushed upwards. Well, not really, but that's what people in management always say. Are you my manager? Um, no. More like partner. Partner? Well, like friends. Not partner like you know what. I don't know what. Nathan crouched by her side and placed his hand on her stomach. Gently, he stroked her. Her tongue hung out from the corner of her mouth. How are mum and dad? He said. I don't know. I'm not with them. I'm with you. Nathan felt something bubble in Winnie's stomach. A moment later, he could see it too. Movement. Pressed his ear to a hairless patch of skin and heard moving fluids and what sounded like mechanical clinking like she'd swallowed a tiny factory. She burped, and a little puff of steam blew out of her mouth. Did you swallow a tiny factory? Not that I know of. Nathan sipped from his coffee. What have you been doing all this time? Since when? Since I left the house. Has it really been ten years? I think so. That's seventy dog years. Shit. I can't. No, no, it's okay. It's just been a long time is all. I haven't even spoken to mum and dad and I've just been, I don't know, trying to live and failing pretty spectacularly. What do you mean? Nathan sat down on the grass by Winnie's side. I don't know how to tell you this, Win, but I'm not exactly doing well. And what most people would consider a failure. No, it, it's more than that. Um, well, Nathan sipped more coffee. He continued It's like the world has a shape for everyone A hole that only they can slot into And it feels like the world forgot about mine I feel left out of everything Persona non grata Persona non grata Sure Nathan removed the lid from his coffee Drained the rest onto the grass Winnie rolled over to her side and whimpered She licked his hand, and he placed his palm over her head, felt the grooves in her skull and the movement of her eyes. She licked his palm, and for some weird reason, he was smiling again. Bubbles rose in his chest, but they weren't like before at the office, not painful, not trapped. These were softer, nicer, like somebody was running a bubble bath for him from the inside of his chest. He thought maybe he could open his mouth and bubbles would flutter out of him and float away on the wind, but when he opened his mouth, nothing came out. What are you doing? Nothing. The patch of grass they were sitting on was a small graveyard outside the town church. Nathan had thought it a good place because there weren't many other dogs or dog walkers around, which is probably because dogs weren't allowed on the graveyard. There were several large signs detailing as much, but Nathan didn't pay attention to signs. He got up from the ground and sat down on a stone bench wasn't actually a stone bench but a toppled gravestone 
Here lies some lady who died in 1912, the bench said. Here sits Nathan, Nathan replied, not with his words, but with his actions. He breathed a plume of steam and trailed it to the wrought iron fence at the end of the graveyard. On the other side of it, there were a gathering of youths, all in black clothing, all with long hair and beanie hats and denim jackets with missing sleeves, all with tattoos and piercings. They bumped fists and hugged, and some disappeared into a black painted door in the side of a pebble-dashed building whilst others sat on the wall outside and smoked, laughed. Winnie sniffed. <laughs> you know it's not normal for a dog to shit cash, right? Normal? I don't know the meaning of the word. She burped again, another plume of steam. Look, she said, rolling onto her belly. From the black painted door emerged the nose-ringed teenager who'd given them the flyer for the metal gig, the one who'd called them pricks. He caught eyes of Nathan and threw up the devil horns again. Nathan clumsily tried to do the devil horns back but got confused. He used the pinky from one hand and the index finger from the other. He then wiggled the fingers for good measure. Feeling weird about it, he put his arms down. Win? Have you ever been to a gig? Like with rock stars? Rock stars might be overstating it, but sort of. Nathan reached into the plastic baggie that he'd drawn a dollar sign on with a mark pen and counted out his money. He had just shy of 50 pounds left. You came, the nose-ringed boy said as Nathan and Winnie walked up the painted black door. Course, Nathan said. Winnie sniffed the boy's knee through a hole in his jeans. She wrecked a little. Great timing too. The first band is just about to start. So what kind of thing are we, uh, are we in for? Nathan said. Like a, a Metallica sort of vibe or are we going a little more deep cut? Like, um... Nathan tried to read the band name on the boy's shirt, but couldn't make sense of the sharp, angular writing. As, uh, Gore... something Plop. The boy blinked slowly, patted Nathan on a shoulder. Yes, he said. The boy walked to Nathan through the door into a room plastered with band posters. It was dark but for the single light bulb dangling above. He stamped Nathan's hand in Winnie's paw with the word approved and led them through a fire door down a set of stairs. I have to admit, I didn't think you'd come. Tell him how excited I am to see the rock stars. Yeah, my dog's into this kind of thing. I can tell, the boy said. They descended a set of sticky stairs that led to a converted wine cellar. It was long and narrow with several nooks along the walls converted into seating areas. The cloying air was redolent with sweat and dry ice and quite possibly urine. Smoke machines hissed. Sound equipment hummed. Birthday disco lights twirled. Right, have fun you pricks. Oh and by the way my name is... The boy with the long hair and the denim jeans and the leather jacket and the acne was called Ken or Can, like Coke Can or it could have been Cran. The thing is, it was so loud in that bar that Nathan only got as far as he did by reading the boy's lips. Not in the way a deaf person might. The boy had a lip tattoo with his name on it. Unfortunately, it had a similar scratchy typography as the band name on his shirt. As Nathan tried to decipher it, the first band exploded into their first song. Or they might have been tuning their instruments, or perhaps they were all being electrocuted, 
Whatever it was, it was a wall of distortion, of guttural banshee screams, and the sound of a drummer uncovering repressed trauma. It was so loud that for a second Nathan forgot how to sniff. Worse than that, he forgot why he wanted to. He tried it a couple of times, but with his ears, then his mouth. Nothing. Somehow, the band got louder. Was the singer in pain? Were the walls shaking? Why were Nathan's back teeth humming? It was a very confusing situation for everybody involved, apart from Winnie, who found the polyrhythmic groove with ease. As soon as the music began, she ran in circles around the dance floor, barking, tail wagging so hard her butt shunted left to right. She blitzed around to the music, bumping and crashing with a joy Nathan could not remember seeing in her, or maybe anyone, ever before. She probably would have been in the mosh pit if there was one. There was only four people in the audience and Nathan was fairly certain three of them were the next band. And the fourth member was also the bartender. She had wads of tissue paper stuffed into her ears. Nathan got her attention by waving his arms around. He pointed to the beer menu. But there must have been out of beer because he was given two glasses of luminescent red juice with sugared rims and charged £9.50. The arrival of the drinks reminded him how to sniff. Oh yeah, that's it, he thought. He sampled it. Whatever it was, it tasted like being buried alive. Also, a little like grapefruit juice. It was absolutely 100% drinkable, and that was about as much as Nathan could have hoped for. He took the drinks back to the dance floor, got Winnie's attention, and let her lap from her cocktail before sipping some more of his own. Not bad, Winnie said, before returning to her circling of the dance floor. Nathan watched the first band do their thing, whatever their thing was. He tried to nod along in time to the music, but the timing was so erratic he couldn't quite work it out. Nod. Nod. Double nod. Now on the offbeat. Now on the quarter notes, but only every half a bar. Nod. Nod nod. Nod nod. And now double speed. It wreaked havoc on his neck, but the drinks helped. Before the first song ended, Nathan had finished his first and ordered a second and was already halfway through that one. This is our last song, belted a voice from somewhere in the room. Nathan squinted and saw that there was a whole other band member, the singer. He was a ghoulish creature hiding in the shadows. Nathan could only just make out the lighter parts of their face, their eyes and their teeth. Thanks for coming out to see us. We've been extremely biased political death squadron. And this is our last song, Crayon Nation. Winnie barked in approval as the music started, and she ran around in circles, accidentally knocking over a chair that nobody picked up. Nathan watched and drank more of the red stuff. It was getting tastier with each sip. Winnie continued to circle the floor like a lost tribe member dancing around an invisible fire, warding away demons or rain or volcanoes or whatever. Nathan licked at the sugared rim of his glass as the alcohol took root and his skin buzzed and the music washed over him. He had listened to many thousands of hours of music of all shapes and sizes in his lifetime, and if anybody should understand it, it would be him, but he didn't. Here he was listening but one step removed from it. Not like Winnie, her enjoyment wasn't capped like Nathan's. She was a life uncapped by the pressures and anxieties of a human being, and she was all the better for it. She returned, dipped her snout into her red drink, licked her chops and bounced back to the dance floor again. Nathan smiled. Again? What the hell is going on with my mouth? He wondered. The band finished with a sudden stop, 
leaving an empty electric buzzing in its absence. When everybody realised the band's set was over, there was some wooing and a yeah from the crowd, and a single dog howling. Nathan offered a one-handed golf clap as he finished another drink. As the band packed up their instruments, Cran and the remaining two audience members climbed onto the stage. That band was really rock star. Yeah, yeah. So rock star. Yeah, they were pretty good, yeah. Pretty good. They were the greatest noise. The greatest noise. Winnie shoved her face into her glass, her lips pulling back as she lapped the last bits of her red drink. You want another one, Win? Yeah, yeah. You sure this isn't too loud for you? You're normally scared of fireworks. Fireworks? Where? She looked at the ceiling. No, no, there are no fireworks. I'm just happy you're enjoying yourself, is all. I am. She sat, looked to the stage where Cran plugged in his spiky guitar, and it did a little scream. You make it look so easy, Nathan said, only now realising he was shouting, his voice growing hoarse. The band who'd just come off the stage were at the bar, drinking shots of something black. I mean, what look easy? Being happy. Cran spoke into the microphone. Testing, testing. There was another squeak of white noise. A man in the shadows tweaked something on a soundboard. My name is Cran. It actually is Cran, Nathan thought. We're Frashtiful Walken, and this first song is dedicated to that crazy bitch. He pointed to Winnie. This song is called, We're Wolves, You Pricks. If the first band was loud and cacophonous, this band was also loud and cacophonous, but they were also fast. The drummer, a girl in a vest top with stick-thin arms, played so quickly that in the blur of movement, she was one of those Indian goddesses with six arms. And the bass player was tall, freakishly so, tall enough to lick the ceiling, which he actually did, twice. It seemed some past band member had stuck some chewing gum up there and this guy just couldn't resist checking it out. So rock star. Their leader, Cran, offered intermittent scratchy sentences between short bursts of windmilling with his hair. Nathan felt its breeze on his sweaty forehead. It was refreshing. Well, Winnie said, the psychic voice still the loudest thing in Nathan's mind. He looked at her, mouthed. Well, what? Border collies were bred to herd sheep, and although Winnie had never herded a single sheep, or would that be shoop, in her life, she still had the gene-deep skills to do so and she used those skills on Nathan by shoving him in the butt with her snout, nipping at his ankles, forcing him onto the dance floor the way a shoop dog, or if there were more than one uh, shoop dogs, might shove a shoop or two. Whoa, Wynn, I really don't think I... Nathan wasn't sure what to do, but now all eyes were on him, and the spinning, airy twister from Cran's hair pulled him inwards. Move, Nathan. Just move. Winnie said as she launched herself into him, pushing against his side. And move he did. He ran small laps around the dance floor. He was certain that this wasn't the correct way to appreciate music like this, but he didn't know what else to do. It was more of a warm-up than a dance, but then Winnie joined in. Suddenly, it was the two of them circling and spinning, their circle getting wider, more frantic. Before they knew it, the bartender joined in, and then the opening act. And now everybody was moving in circles, dancing to the spell of Cran's hair. Wolves! Cran stopped only to shout wolves into the microphone before returning to his windmilling. The dancers bumped into each other and they laughed and Nathan spilled his drink over his new clothes and he slipped to the floor and banged his elbows and it hurt but it was okay because he was lifted up 
and placed back on his feet and everything was okay because he wasn't alone. So Silly ran and bounced and spun. Everybody did. It was an absurd ballet of ridiculous pirouettes and dangerous allegro. And it was nice. At least Nathan thought so. Wolves, Cran sang, screamed, squealed. You pricks, we're wolves. And the night of spinning didn't end when the music did. All of them. Thrashed if awoken. Extremely biased political death squadron. The bartender with the tissue paper in her ears. And even the shadowy sound engineer joined them for a continuous night of drinking and laughing and smoking and non-stop howling, all of them shouting wolves, all of them singing songs that nobody knew the words to. Hours later and they fell out of the bar, but the spinning did not stop. The moonlit sky took over, circling above their heads, a starry pinwheel luring them from the taxi, which was supposed to take them back to Nathan's apartment, but they ordered it to stop and jumped out for a late night walk in the woods instead. Wolves, the moon sang. Or maybe it was Cran, but likely they were one and the same. Wait, Cran had been the moon this whole time? That's a rockstar. The realisation gave Nathan the giggles. He couldn't feel his fingers, couldn't feel his face, couldn't feel anything but the smile. The peculiar formation of cheeks up high and lips peeled back. The moon slash Cran did the same, sang and smiled and lit a silvery path for them, leading them deeper into the thickest parts of the woods. They got lost spun themselves deeper into the overgrowth, deeper until they found the cave and the deer, and they chased it as the moon slash crown turned red. Were they naked? Probably. But they were also free. Free to be primal, free to enjoy the uncapped joys of wolf life. To chase a deer simply because they wanted to. To howl until their voices broke and their throats bled. Wolves. The moon sang, softly now, slowly now. Crooning to the morning blue rising on the horizon. The moon slash crown sang itself to sleep, just as the sun woke up and Nathan and Winnie in their drunken state chased down the deer, killed it, and ate it. At least that's what Nathan thought when he woke up and saw blood red stains on his mouth and his clothes, at least what was left of his clothes. He wasn't quite naked, but he was as good as, wearing only a torn shirt and jacket, once again missing his trousers and shoes, but also this time his socks. To his dirty reflection in the surface of a pond, he asked why he'd taken off his clothes, and how he'd lost both his trousers and shoes two nights in a row. And of course, why did I eat a deer? Did I eat a deer? Is it possible to eat an entire deer in one night? His palms smelled of rust and vinegar. He wasn't sure what the insides of a deer smelled like. Was it rust and vinegar? Fingers of sunlight reached into the woods, illuminating the dripping leaves and the gently swaying bushes. Nathan recognised nothing other than the dog head slowly lifting out from a bundle of leaves. Its more stained red, its usually vibrant eyes are now sore and glassy. It yawned, squeaked, and then spoke. Oh God, it said. Why do I feel like this? Not so loud, Nathan said, massaging his temples. Sorry. He walked to Winnie, careful not to step on anything prickly or slimy with his bare feet. My clothes are gone again, he said. They were brand new, and they were so very expensive. Ah, I wouldn't worry about finances right now. What makes you say that? Winnie's stomach grumbled. Oh, 
Crouched by her side, he fussed her, tickled her ears and her chin. Winnie's back leg automatically kicked the air. Nice, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Nice, nice. Nathan chuckled, but stopped when he saw the skin of his legs were pale blue. Shivering, he hugged himself, stroked his own shoulders. It's freezing, he said. His watch beeped. 8.55am. I'm going to be late for work. Oh, wait. Nathan remembered he didn't have a job anymore. And then he remembered he may have eaten a live deer. And then he remembered the pet dog from his childhood had returned to him. And then he remembered that she shits cash. It had been an eventful 24 hours. Mist plumed from Winnie's yawning mouth. She climbed to her feet, shook herself free of mud and dead leaves, and barked softly. Home? Yes, please. Silently, still recovering from the previous night, they walked through the woods, passing chuckling streams and singing birds and a small group of jogging women. Morning! One of the jogging women said. Nathan mumbled something in response, something between a greeting and a back spasm. Winnie looked like she wanted to give chase but decided against it on account of the hangover. They walked until they emerged from the dirt paths and the trees and stepped out into an open green field. Both of them cold and sickly, meandering onto the dew-soaked grass, trying not to look directly into the sun. They made it to the far side of the field when Winnie had to make a quick stop on account of some business she needed to tend to. Okay, whilst you're making a withdrawal, I'll... I'll call a taxi with my... Oh no, my things! Nathan patted his coat pockets and was relieved to find his phone was still there, still out of battery. He also found a bunch of cheese cubes, the smell of which made him gag a little. His wallet, however, was missing, was likely still in his trouser pockets, wherever they were. It didn't matter too much. All he kept in there was his bank card, currently useless, a maxed-out credit card, and a photo of... her. Fuck, he said. What? Um, nothing. No, it's okay. It's probably for the best. Nathan closed his eyes and faced the sun. He counted his breaths, washed himself in the refreshing morning light. When he opened his eyes, he saw a bold dog walker with a golden retriever walking towards them. The retriever bounded over with a ball in his mouth and went straight to Winnie, who'd just finished her business. Politely, they sniffed one another's anuses. I want that ball, Winnie said, healed of her hangover by the power of a tennis ball. I want that ball. The retriever ran away and Winnie gave chase. Winnie, I don't have time for this. There's a £75 fine, said the dog walker, now stood behind Nathan. His head was surprisingly large and round. You better not leave it. I wasn't gonna, Nathan said, still holding back the urge to vomit. He reached into his pockets for a baggie but found nothing. Along with his wallet, the roll of swag baggies must have been in his trousers. Here, the man said, sunlight beaming off of his bulb pate and directly into the backs of Nathan's optical nerves. The man handed him a blue baggie and didn't leave as Nathan pushed his hand inside and scooped up the steaming cash deposits. You got it? The dog walker said. Yeah, thanks, I got it. Nathan tried to block the man's view, but failed on account of him not trying very hard. Wait, that's not... What, Nathan said, scooping up the cash and twisting it, tying it off as surreptitiously as he could. What is it not? It's just plain old shit, mate. Nothing to smell here. The gawping dog walker closed his mouth. Behind them, the two dogs ran by, 
Winnie with the ball and the golden retriever now chasing her, desperate to get it back. You reminded me of someone, said the dog walker. I have one of those faces, Nathan said. The bold man nodded. That's it. It's your face. One of those faces. Come on then, Win. Nathan took in a deep breath and stuck two fingers in his mouth and tried to whistle. The weak sauce leak of air that escaped his lips was the kind of whistle that made a person ashamed of being alive and afraid of ever trying to whistle ever again. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Come on then, he shouted, voice cracking. Winnie heard and ran over to them, dropping the ball and allowing the retriever to take it back. Nice to meet you, Nathan murmured to the man. Thanks for the baggie, no problem. Together, Nathan and Winnie slowly made their way back into town. There they wandered the several miles to the bus stop and caught the 13A bus back to Nathan's flat. It was a somewhat long and arduous journey, especially for a hungover and half-naked man and his sick dog, but luckily for them, it was all over in a single paragraph. But the dog walker and his golden retriever didn't go anywhere, no. The dog walker had a fault. One could usually tell when the dog walker had a fault because his eyebrows rose and his forehead furrowed. With a head full of thoughts, he reached into his deep coat pockets, reached past the baggies, the phone, the car keys, the dog treats, the bits of fluff, kept on reaching until he found a small business card. He took it out and looked upon it. His heartbeat quickened as he dialed the number. Yeah? Said the angry little voice on the phone. Is that Mr. Chihuahua? What? Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm Paolo Chihuahua. What the fuck do you want to... I saw something a moment ago that... I think it might be of interest to you. Right, okay, said Paolo. Go on then. And then the dog walker did just that. He went on. A single shoe bobbed up and down as the stream carried it past the deer. Quietly, the horned creature drank and looked upon its reflection. At its gold tawny fur, speckled with pollen yellow spots, its tall and sharp antlers, and it thought about the two strangers from the night before. It thought about the dog and the man and how they chased it all of twenty feet before giving up and passing out on the dirt. The man, wheezing and out of breath, removed his trousers and shoes and screamed a name. Faye! I'm eating a fucking deer! Faye! Look at me now! And the dog vomited ate the vomit and then lay down where the vomit had been. If the deer could laugh, it would have done. Instead, it shook its head, watched the shoe sink beneath the surface of the water and returned to its drinking. Somewhere else, not too far away. Ernesto Chihuahua pulled up the van outside number 23 Lum Lane, beside a house that sat in the very middle of the Peafield Estates. The house was a biggie, with big bold bricks and a stubbly fat chimney poking out of the roof, like it was giving the world a thumbs up. It was also a liar of a house, where it appeared to be proud and welcoming, it was in fact the opposite. The houses on either side were alive with yellow lights spilling from curtain gaps and doorways and the quiet din of TVs playing and families gathering for evening meals. Number 23, by comparison, was dead. There were no lights, 
No noise. A wrought iron fence out front held a sign that read, Mind the many dogs. From what Ernesto could see, there were no dogs. There weren't even any people. There was a car in the driveway, peppered with bird shit, some twigs, a gathering of brown leaves in the wipers, rusted wheel arches, seemingly unused for years. The same could be said for the house. The small patch of overgrown grass was desolate, but for the few molehills, dirty dog toys poking out from underneath unruly bushes. Uncollected letters sat stuck in the letterbox. A thick film of dirt and grease covered the front door and the windows. The curtains opened, but nothing happening inside, like looking upon empty stages in abandoned theatres. Ernesto, always the calmer of the brothers, pulled out a small comb from his breast pocket and tamed his wavy hair. As he combed, he watched the house and looked for any signs of life. After ten minutes, he called up his brother. Yes? Paolo said. Dearest brother, the weather is nippy, the moon is sombre, and the house is empty. You're sure? I am. It doesn't look like her or her many dogs have been here since... Well... Since we took out the loan on this van. The picture. Mm. How are you getting on with the retriever? On the phone, Paolo smacked his lips, seemed to be eating something. Oh, yeah, yeah. All done. I gave it the full wash and dry like Baldilocks wanted in exchange. Still, doesn't seem to have made much of a difference. How's that? You said it. She never returned. Perhaps. Ernesto reached over to the passenger seat and opened up the wallet. Inside, he looked at the credit card. The name read Nathan Alabaster. The son. I didn't even know she had a son. I did. I just didn't care. He was a cunt. They're all cunts, sir. Language. Pardon me. Ernesto looked at himself in the rearview mirror, liked what he saw, gave himself a cheeky wink. Well, he said. I'll have a mosey around the establishment and see what secrets are in need of um, unearthing. Are you okay to clean up at the workshop? Of course. Another bite into whatever he was eating. It sounded meaty. I will make haste. Patiently. What? I won't be long. Ernesto put down the phone. He got out of the van, tiptoed to the fence. He wasn't being sneaky, it was just his preferred method of perambulation. He pushed open the gate, its rusty hinges whined like ghosts of puppies. Accidentally he stood on a squeaky dog toy, but it didn't squeak, it sputtered. Ernesto tiptoed some more. At the front door he pressed his face to the frosted glass. It was dark inside, there were only shadows, and at a certain angle, his own reflection. Hello, handsome. He winked at himself again. Just as he was about to pull out his comb, he heard the music. Quiet. Classical. A sonata of some kind. A lonely legato. Ernesto said goodbye to his reflection and tiptoed through the side path leading to the back garden. I see, he said, looking down the garden, overgrown in every sense of the word. It was distorted, barely contained within its fences, grass and tree and vines spilling over, 
in need of a trim, a grade four around its rump and perhaps a wash, dry, and a straight scissor cut across its fringes. Maybe get rid of some of the split ends, gently curl the longer blades, and hey presto, a sensation, a revelation, a groomer of the year contender. More importantly though, at the very end of the garden sat a small wooden house, a kennel. A sliver of light outlined the gaps in the door, and from the gaps there came the music. You've been listening to My Dog Shits Cash, written and narrated by me, Luke Condor, with music by myself as to Crondo, Chris Zabriskie, Ben Duncan, and End Arch Rival. Sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. For more of my work, head over to lukecondor.com. That's Condor with a K. Uh, be sure to leave a review, tell your friends, and look after your mind and your pets. Until next time.